Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mliwa Gavaza, and for today, we do get into uh, what is looking to be a great discussion around the state of healthcare in uh, South Africa, and particularly, um, you know, how, uh, how healthcare businesses are making use of uh, technology uh, to actually deliver some of their services. And for today, uh, we are joined uh, by the team over at UNU and we're going to be trying to understand you know a couple of things around you know what UNU Health is um, what they are about and uh, you know what the gap is that they're trying to fill in the market um, those that have been following this platform for a number of years will know that we've actually featured a number of uh, various uh, health related um, entities from uh, you know Discovery Health and all of the ways they're using technology recommend um, you know all of those different platforms um, and and for today, we're trying to understand what it is that the team over at UNU Health is uh, trying to do. And to help us to unpack all this, uh, we are joined uh, by uh, Tanya Joffe, um, who is uh, the CEO of UNU Health, as well as uh, Dr. Pato Zondi, who is the Chief Operating Officer. So I think a good place for us to start, maybe uh, Tanya is maybe um, giving us, uh, you know, uh, I think in the world of startups, uh, people talk about an elevator pitch, trying to understand, <laughs> you know, to, to the overview of uh, what UNU Health is. Uh, hi, Budidwa. Uh, thanks. No pressure at all there. Um, so in terms of an elevator pitch, UNU Health is a platform business model that seeks to leverage technology to remove the friction from healthcare. So it's two-sided. On the one side, you have the, the patient or the client, the user, and on the other side, you have the healthcare providers. And as UNU Health as a platform, we introduce technology that eff effectively gives users access to healthcare by removing friction of access, so you don't have to travel, friction of cost, private healthcare is expensive, and then friction of quality. So making sure that we get the diagnosis and the clinical results right. So that that's uh, that's effectively what Inu Health is about. Pato, you're smiling. Do you want to come in there? No, absolutely. I mean, we've, we, it's so interesting how when we discuss Inu Health, um, obviously the vision, the, the model remains the same. Um, but how we express it, depending on who we're expressing to, is always very specific and nuanced to the conversation. And maybe, uh, you know, on that end, uh, uh, Dr. Zondi, I'm not sure what you prefer. Is it uh, Dr. Zondi? Is it Pato? Um, is uh, what you call this uh, just understanding um, uh, more the business side of things? I do understand that sustainability is at the core of what you guys are doing. Maybe talk to us just around what that actually means. Absolutely. So, I mean, sustainability is at the core in the sense that, um, as a business, and Tanya said, we're a platform business with two sides. We've got users on the one side and certainly service providers on the other side, and our function and purposes connect the two. Um, but at a bigger level, it's all, we, we have, we're committed to impact. That's really why we're doing what we're doing. You know, we the whole concept was inspired essentially by a passion and a desire to see Africa prosper. Um, and when we envisage Africa's growth and prosperities, what we recognize is that one of the key barriers is health. Um, or rather the health crisis that Africa faces. And so um, in terms of the long term and what we're trying to achieve, we are trying throughout our platform essentially to address um, and through tech specifically 
to address to address the real barriers um, that are related to delivery of health um, challenges in infrastructure, as Tanya said, access um, um, and resources, and essentially bring people closer to the healthcare that they need, so that we can address the crisis that we face. Uh, perhaps if I could, uh, I'd, I'd want to project, uh, but just as a quick follow-up uh, to this issue of sustainability, it's been very interesting. Um, over the last couple of weeks, we've spoken to a number of different businesses that are all looking to address, you know, some of these big societal issues that we're facing in South Africa. And the issue of sustainability keeps coming up. Um, and one of the questions I keep posing, you know, to each of the businesses, and I also pose it to, you know, to Unu Health is, do you guys see yourselves as a social enterprise? If so, you know, how important is, uh, because... Uh, part of the sustainability debate is your operation itself needs to be, you know, sustainable, um, you know, make a surplus just so that you can continue going forward. So we are a business. So we have a PL and we need to deliver on a profit. And if in the absence of that, we would find it very difficult to um, acquire funding. So, so that's key. The funding that we look to is impact funding. So we need to deliver on an ROI, absolutely, because without that, there wouldn't be sustainability. We'd effectively be an NGO and we'd be reliant on donor funding. So we are a business um, that seeks sustainability by delivering on a profit, but at the same time, it is a low margin business that requires scale. And in that sense, that's why it would require impact investing. So most businesses that require 180,000 users to break even are not regarded as hugely attractive. <laughs> and that's simply a, a you know question of margin. So we try and maximize the benefit that we pass on to the consumer, to the end user, which is why our margins are incredibly tight. And then what we also do is we leverage our, our, our funding partner, the assets that they have and the scale that they have and the opportunity for scale to literally bring that through the platform. That's very important. So that's why we believe we are um, tipped for success, that we will achieve our very ambitious goals. We will achieve those sorts of um, platform numbers. And then when you think about it from a healthcare perspective, we have 1% as sub-Saharan Africa of the global health resources and 24% of the disease burden. 200,000 users doesn't even begin to move the needle. The ambition needs to be closer to 15 million. And even at 15 million, when you think 1.2 billion people, you know, we still, so that's the scale, the magnitude of the challenge. So our ambition is really, it's a big one. And we must succeed, as Pacho said, you know, to be impactful, you need to move that needle significantly and you need scale. No, you certainly do. And especially a lot of the businesses that are out there you are, where you are driving such, uh, I'm going to call them wafer thin margins. You really do need, um, you know, a lot of scale to achieve any economies that are going to be able to make sense, um, you know, going forward. And it sounds like you guys are already looking at SA, but, you know, the, the, the wider continent um, as a whole to achieve that particular scale. Before I come back to that Africa ambition, uh, maybe, Pato, you could give us some insight. You know, someone is listening to this, they're understanding that you guys are trying to uh, make healthcare more accessible, you're trying to bring down, you know, all of these costs, but someone who hasn't been on the platform, who doesn't, uh, who hasn't encountered this, they might then be asking, okay, cool, 
take me to take me through some of the mechanics right uh, and i'm not sure whichever side you want to take people through the mechanics because i'm sure you've got providers you've got customers you've got you know all of those maybe we can look at it from a, a normal you know customer point of view uh, i'm engaging with the platform for the first time and you know how what is my experience like could you just take us through um what something like that looks like gladly gladly Mudia. So importantly, I mean, we have modeled our patient journey and a whole journey on, on a real life scenario. And so I'll give you the persona of the person. And this is not just a persona. In fact, she's a real person, uh, one of the cleaners who works in one of our office blocks, right? And so I'll use her as an example. Let's call her Lesedi for the sake of this conversation. Um, Lesedi, as I said, is a cleaner who works at one of the office blocks uh, that we are familiar with. She will wake up every single day at four o'clock in the morning um, in order to make it on time to obviously get ready in the morning, go and get a taxi, get to work on time, which has probably clock in between seven and eight o'clock in the morning. She works a full day at work. Um, and then essentially after work, will knock off at work at about four o'clock in the afternoon, five o'clock in the afternoon, has to transit again on taxi to make it back home. If Lissetti is unwell, Lissetti would typically have to go to the clinic because she cannot afford to pay out of pocket to go to private healthcare facilities. What that would mean is she needs to make a decision on that day. Am I going to go to work or am I going to go to the clinic? Because we know that going to the clinic is a whole day exercise, right? Not going to work is an opportunity cost because she then forfeits. There's no work, no pay in many circumstances, right? Um, and so she will forfeit her salary. So it's a real decision about whether I go to the clinic or not. And if I go to the clinic, am I going to get the medication that I need? So what this might then look like is instead of Lissetti having to not go to work and go to the clinic where she's going to stand in a queue for about two or three hours, wait to see the nurse, maybe get to see the doctor, maybe go to pharmacy where they may hopefully be the meds that she requires, and then eventually make it back home at, say, 12, 1 o'clock if she's lucky. What this now looks like is, Lissetti has now been empowered through her employer or through buying the proposition herself, however she's come to it, with Unu Health as a proposition. It lives on her phone as a widget, so or the equivalent of an app, essentially, when she is unwell in the morning, what she can now do is she can whip out her phone, click on the little icon that says Unu Health. It'll open up. When it opens up, there's immediately a little icon that says, would you like to chat to a nurse? Right? She chats to a nurse, clicks on that icon, it takes it through to a nurse, a WhatsApp interface, where essentially first there'll be a series of questions that are asked to make sure that there's no medical emergency that we're dealing with, which obviously cannot be dealt with on WhatsApp. Um, and once she's through, the nurse will then ask her, hi, Lissetti, how can I help you today? Lissetti will then describe her symptoms, and obviously a conversation will take place uh, to better understand the clinical scenario and her symptoms. And the nurse will then, two options. The nurse might say, Lissetti, based on your symptoms, here's the medication that I, that I, I think you should um, use that will help you, and issue an over-the-counter script that is included in her benefits. Or she might say, you know what, I think you need to go see the doctor. I'm going to make an appointment for you to go and see the doctor. Chat to the doctor either on, online or on the phone. That whole interaction can take a maximum of, or can take anything between eight minutes and, you know, let's call it 15 minutes, depending on the complexity of the case, after which the city has got her medication. She can now, um, if specifically she hasn't had to go to the doctor, she can now go straight to the pharmacy and claim that medication. Whether it's on her way back from work, she hasn't missed a day of work, goes to the pharmacy, claims her medication, goes back home, starts taking medication. She's accessed healthcare sooner than she might have if she had to make the decision about whether she goes to work or goes to healthcare. She's not had to pay for anything. So she's not had to pay because this is a fully funded solution. She's also not had to pay for her over-the-counter scripts because it's included in the benefits. She's been able to chat to a nurse who's been able to speak to her in whatever language that she's comfortable with. 
and she's been able to access her med and start taking her meds sooner. Hopefully what that means is she gets sooner quicker. She doesn't have to take time off work um, because as you know, you and I can be sick. You take medication, it treats, you carry on with life. Also, importantly, she's not going to work unwell. And so she's not contaminating or infecting people in her workplace. So practically, maybe to just come back, what it looks like is it looks like an app or a widget on your phone, essentially, that when you are unwell, you can access from anywhere where you are, whether it's at work where you start to feel unwell or whether it's at home in the comfort of your own home. You are connected through tech to a real life nurse or doctor who then is able to confirm a diagnosis and initiate management from wherever you are. You're then able to go to a pharmacy and include it in the benefits, essentially um, get medication that will then help you get better. Also on this app, that's just the day-to-day -day function. There's, and we're really excited about some of the other enablers, what we say of health. And so on this app, you're able to essentially build a health score. So when you're registering, so before the moment of truth is when you get sick, you, you know, you'd go through a series of questions and questionnaires where you basically answer some questions, which gives you a health profile and a health score, right? That health score is basically a, a marker of where am I uh, in terms of my health status right now? I Am I in the green? I'm doing well and I need to carry on doing what I'm doing. In the yellow, in the red, where I need some help and then you'll be directed to somebody who can help you. Um, so you're able to do that and monitor that over time with some interventions. What we're building for as well is context-specific uh, interventions and health behavior advice, you know, um, so that Lesedi can be told, listen, Lesedi, it looks like your health status is in the orange or the yellow. Um, and it's largely due to increased BMI and sedentary behavior, as an example, which puts you at risk for diabetes and other things. Our suggestion is that you need to, and then we'll start talking about lifestyle interventions relevant to Lissetti in her circumstances, right? Mm. Um, and so that's and that's the offering in a nutshell. I mean, I could speak about this for the next day, you know, or two, <laughs> but I mean, I think I must hold it there and just allow for questions <laughs> or any more conversations. All right. Uh, I I like the fact that you you know you took us through that. Uh, you you literally did exactly what I what I was hoping. You know to get a sense of a, of an actual person and you know the type of journey that they would have in something like that. Even if someone isn't necessarily uh, looking at the app in front of them, they can literally picture it in their mind. And uh, Tanya, one of the things that comes up um, from the description that Pato was giving is the fact that it's quite clear that there are a lot of different touch points um, you know from uh, the journey that she described you've got um, the person slash patient that's there you've got the nurse who I guess is the first point of call when you have that uh, sort of whatsapp interface I can imagine you might have maybe GPs as well somewhere um, you know as part of the ecosystem there's the medication piece you know because you're gonna then go to the pharmacy um, so there are a lot of different touch points Key question for us, because we are a business platform, is, you know, maybe understanding um, for for an UNU Health, where you guys are able to, to make your money. Is it on the customer side, the doctor side? Is it medical aid? Is it, yeah, where where is it exactly? As UNU Health, we, we curate and advocate for patient by making these health plans available. So effectively, we've partnered with Standard Bank on five primary healthcare plans. So we have the Be Well range, which is a self-insured uh, product, and it offers the best value in the market because there's no underwriter, it's non-regulated, it's a great product, but the employer has to pay 100% of the primary healthcare benefit. Alternatively, we have that's three products, and then we have a further two, which are insured products with Generic. 
So these underlying health plans are supported by an administrator, the National Healthcare Group. They have 3,500 doctors uh, countrywide. We only use 2,200 because we only want contracted in doctors. So a user of this health plan who comes through UNU Health to access the health plan never makes a payment or co-payment because that's just friction. Then we have six and a half thousand pharmacies. So basically we make a margin almost as the advocate and the uh, curator and distributor of these health plans. So what UNU does is it removes friction associated with access. It, I don't want to say box, that's too strong a word, but we certainly have very robust engagement with the service providers because as odd as it may seem, and I know Pato as a medical doctor is on the call, but it's amazing how healthcare is not really patient-centric. So, you know, you're, you don't own your health record. You don't always understand exactly what the doctor's actually written up about you from a diagnostic perspective. So what we do as UNU is we really drive no co-payments, no fine print, make the product and the benefits simple. I need to know exactly. There can't be surprises. There, is, there isn't a doctor's visit included. We do all of that, and for that, we get a margin. So we get a margin off the health, um, the health plan. Um, and in time we are going to launch retail solutions as well, pay-as-you-go solutions, and then we'll make a margin off those, um, those pay-as-you-go solutions. So that's how we, we monetize. It is a very interesting model. Um, and I can imagine that uh, scale, you know, we spoke the word scale just now. And I think that the follow-up for me is to say, where are you guys in the scaling journey? Right. Whatever you can share, because I do understand that um, there can be some uh, confidentiality and all of that. But whatever um, you can share just around where you guys are in terms of, you know, users response, you know, you know, go, going to that uh, scale that you need. So I almost want to use an analogy. We've planted um, into what we think is fertile soil and we're starting to see the first green shoots. So literally the shoots we went live last year, August. We have some wonderful um, corporate and commercial and small business clients, and we are learning at an unbelievable pace. Uh, can be, and we knew that. We knew to deliver a relevant solution, our success is going to be reliant on how fast can we learn and how fast can we respond. So that's key for us. And we are currently, we, we're live, but we are not, I can be honest, we're not to target. So we have got um, a lot of work to do. And we think we were probably overly ambitious in terms of, so we assumed we could do five times what the industry normally does in a year, just to give you a sense. Of course we did. <laughs> so, so we're under pressure for sure. <laughs> you know, but Mudiwa, maybe just to, to add, it's been, as Sonia said, it's been a really, um, firstly, compelling because we know exactly why we're doing and we're anchored by the why, right? And, and the need that there is. But it's been a fascinating journey of learning and growth. I mean, uh, the, the interesting thing is, or maybe it's not surprising really, is that our, the response from corporates has been fantastic. You know, there's not a single corporate that we have introduced the proposition and the offering to who said, I'm not interested, this doesn't make sense. And I'm talking about the fully funded one right now, where it's fully employer funded. We, 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 you know, there's no single corporate that has said, I'm not interested, this sounds like a bad idea. All right. Um, so, so that's been really great. The, the the what we've learned really is that the conversation takes longer than you know the two weeks that we hoped we know it's a great idea now sign the papers let's go <laughs> and some and you know it's it's not that's that it takes a little bit longer right and so we're still in those conversations which is why Tanya says we've planted and we know that those seeds um will shoot very soon but interestingly from a user journey 
Uh, we've also had great learnings there. And one of, I think, the biggest ones is trust, right? And trust at a number of layers. Trust, firstly, from a technology perspective when it comes to healthcare. Um, many individuals um, still want to see a doctor in person, you know, or they're worried about AI and they don't understand, you know, the, what this platform, and now I'm going to be speaking to a nurse on WhatsApp or even on a call, am I going to get the same quality of care? And I always... Um, I now enjoy this question because it's an easy answer for me. I mean, Mudeo, if I had to ask you, have you ever been to a pharmacy where you stood across the counter from a pharmacist and said, Ish, you know what, I've got an issue, I've got this rash here, and you show them exactly as I'm showing you now. You've looked up your arm, I've got this rash, and the pharmacist says to you, oh, okay, is it itchy? Yes. Um, is it painful? Yes. Is it pussy? And you say, no. When did it start? Did you get bitten by anything? I'm not sure. And they say, okay, well, you know what, here's a cream that I recommend that you use, uh, but if, you know, if, come, if it doesn't get better, go, go see the doctor in two days' time. Similar situation, sound familiar? Mm. And so 90% of people who have never used uh, telehealth or any kind of digital medicine, because many of us haven't, despite COVID, they'll say, yes, I've done that before lots of times. And I say, well, exactly. This is exactly the same thing, right? Because all you're doing is through WhatsApp, you're speaking to a qualified healthcare professional who is going to ask you the same questions as the pharmacist would and then offer you some advice, which is either give you medication or prescribe medication, recommend medication, or of course they go to a doctor. So trust is a big one from a user perspective. And we've been able to, it's been great to see um, within the num members, rather, member groups that we've got on board right now, the conversion. You know, people then trying it and being like, what? I can't believe it really worked, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's been encouraging. And those are the stories that we tell. There's trust also from an employer perspective, right? When you come and say there's a fully funded employer proposition, they go, what do you mean for what? For healthcare? Well, they know about my health records, you know? And so that's a big um, a sort of element that we have to uplift when we're speaking to specifically to staff members to say, yes, the employer is funding this, but they're funding it because they recognize that if you're healthy, A, you're happier, and B, then you'll do better within your own lives and in the workplace. Um, and then I think the last one is actually trust about our cost price because <laughs> um, Employers and employees, you know, people are like, well, go, what do you mean that I can get access, unlimited access to a nurse, unlimited referrals to a GP, pharmacy meds, some radiology, some blood tests for 121 a month? How? Right. Um, so that's been, and exactly that, Mudeo ask us, but how are you making money and who's on the other line? You know, will you be able to deliver on this promise and quality health care at this price point? And we know that we can. Right. Uh, that's the that's our purpose as a platform creator. So I think trust has been a, um, a big trust is a big one for us introducing this kind of platform, which is which is relatively new, you know, in our market. Um, and, and but I think, you know, the, the more success stories that we hear from our users just being there. So they must be for the product. Uh, our, our traction and our, our growth will will speak for itself. Pato, one of the things I'm interested in very much is the fact that you are a doctor right um because i'm pretty sure there's uh there's an element of being at the call face um you know over the years um you know that comes along with it you had already alluded to the fact that there's been a, a lot of challenges um in terms of even getting people to understand the fact that um you can have the same type of interaction that many people have had you know over years you can have the exact same thing except that it's being done um, over a virtual platform as opposed to, you know, being done uh, in person. Um, is it? Could you talk to us just around what that's like 
and what place UNU then has to play. Is it an is it an advocacy role? Is it an education type of role? Are you do you have to go out there and evangelize and say that no guys you can there's so much that you can do on a virtual platform? Uh, because even through COVID, I remember through COVID talking to a number of healthcare providers on this platform, and that was one of the big things was to say that so many South Africans still you know it was uh, the two the two industries that we saw that found it hard to virtualize were financial planning and healthcare, right? People are very sensitive about their money. They want to talk to a person in person. People are very sensitive about their health. They want to talk, uh, they want to, talk to a person, um, you know, in real life. So could you just talk to us just around what, you know, that is like, because you are a doctor, you're talking, and you've had this experience over over many years, but now, um, helping to run this business, and it has to happen, you know, within these certain parameters. Absolutely. Um, Mudua, like any doctor that qualifies in this country, um, I, I've had to work in public health services, and I stayed there for longer because I was passionate about serving people and really addressing the real-life problems that they have. But but I got very frustrated very soon. And there's, you know, there's distinct moments that I remember where I just asked myself, like, in fact, I felt despair. You know, that's what it was at at the magnitude of the problem, the signif- the simplicity of the solution, yet our inability to connect essentially the two, right? And so I'm talking about instances where I'm in casualty uh, in a trauma unit, but I can't find gloves, you know, or I have prescribed something as simple as a panado, but the pharmacy has run out of panado, right? And something really simple like that. Um, or again, I'm in theater and we run out of a certain size of syringes. You know, I mean, these are really simple things, right? And But they they effectively stand in the way of patient care, effectively, you know, and, and profoundly. And then of course, just the mere fact that we are, we are, we are and not just us, but we are significantly under-resourced when it comes to personnel. So the issues that are faced in healthcare, and this is certainly not just a South Africa problem, this is an Africa-wide problem and in many other third world countries, really relates to um, a infrastructure. So, you know, the actually the number of clinics and hospitals that there actually are out there, resources in terms of personnel, um, and then resources in terms of, you know, actual health, you know, um, management resources themselves. Uh, these are Africa-wide problems. And it'll take a while for us to try and solve for these problems if we're doing it the same way that we've been trying to. You know, the question that I always ask is, well, how's that working out for us? Right? It's not. So clearly, we need to find other solutions. And if we look at look at other industries, tech is at the forefront in solving for these very many problems that other industries also face in terms of inefficiencies, lack of resources. How do we, yeah, infrastructure even constraints. You know, how do we use technology to solve for some of these issues? And so absolutely, it's um, we're long overdue as a healthcare industry to to start to use tech to solve these issues. Tech does not replace humans. Tech can enable humans in a healthcare setting, right? It can enable humans. So in other words, tech can bring you closer to the doctor that you need to see or the nurse that you need to see or even the specialist that you need to see. Where right now, if I just think about specialist care, I mean, you might wait two months to go see a specialist through tech that can be brought closer significantly, right? Um, tech is important in healthcare uh, in terms of diagnostics as well. You know, it's just, it's exciting to see the um, the software that's now available that will improve diagnostic accuracy. And where these diagnosis and screening, for example, and, and we're exploring a number of these partnerships can again take place from 
from anywhere, you know, through tech. So I think so I think these are these are some of the areas where tech can play a role in healthcare. You know, um, tech must solve for access, tech must solve for cost, tech must solve for qualities, in other words, actually diagnosis and management of care. And we're seeing that in a lot of places. Tanya, the last thing I'm going to say before I invite you to the table, you asked, you know, what role does UNI play? Is it advocacy? Is it education? Both. But fundamentally, before we even get there, it's in delivering the service. The crisis that we face is because people aren't able to get to the healthcare that they need in the time that they need to, right? It takes too long. So fundamentally, what we do is we deliver a service that brings healthcare to people. But in doing that, we definitely have an advocacy role. We advocate for the patient when we're speaking to our partners, you know, so that we are able to manage things like cost and experience. Um, and certainly, we, we, we know that education plays an important role in changing health-related behavior and improving health outcomes. Tanya, I know you wanted to add something there. If I may. Yes. Um, so the investment that's happening in the medical verticals and the, in the healthcare vertical is bigger than in any other vertical right now. And the technology investment, so it, it's expected to be about $167 billion this year, is focused on telemedicine, so diagnostics. So how do we deliver healthcare like you deliver banking in the palm of your hand via mobile. So how do we do diagnostics? How do we do, uh, how do we examine you remotely? And then the next one is personalized. So it's very interesting. There's a big drive towards personalization of medicine, including genomics, which all of these capabilities we're going to start enabling through technology so that the medication you take is relevant to you based on your genome. So you might metabolize or not metabolize certain uh, medication. And then the last one is wearables. And what we have to do is, you know, health from a wearable perspective is drive costs down. So it's all great and well that my Apple Watch has the ability to monitor my glucose, but it's completely unaffordable to most people. So and there's so much of that. And then those technologies and those capabilities are often attached to 10x companies based in beautiful. Okay, let me keep quiet there. <laughs> but you can hear I'm very. So we are. So for example, we've delivered a transdermal optical imaging capability now, you take, which effectively is a video. You take a video and off that we can read your blood pressure. We can read your BMI. We can do all of those sorts of reading and give you a health check over your phone. So delivering, so removing the geographic co-location that's required in healthcare or that's traditionally attached to healthcare is a big focus for us, leveraging tech. That's, we think that's going to be the winner. One of the things I'm quite curious about, because um, the Africa conversation is a big one, you know, at this point, um, because um, as much as South Africa is the most developed economy on the continent, it still faces for, or some would say that for the majority of the population in South Africa, um, a lot of the access issues that face that particular demographic are the same issues that face uh, people on the continent. Uh, distance from uh, healthcare services, um, the cost of healthcare, generally um, the resources as well. Uh, would you rather would you rather keep the lights on at your house or pay money to go see a healthcare professional? All of these very um, you know hard decisions that people have to to consider. I'm curious about two things when it comes to Africa for Uno Health. Firstly, um, have you guys made that foray yet? Um, you know, or are you still you know looking to win the SA market first before you venture outwards? And then secondly. This one is a practical one, and I'm launching off of what uh, Pato said just now about that interaction, that telehealth uh, discussion, to say, where does regulation lie when it comes to some of this stuff? If I'm, if I'm sitting in, in Zambia and I get onto UNO Health, right, am I able to get 
uh, maybe just simple advice from someone who's sitting in South Africa or Nigeria um, who then recommends go to your pharmacy and get A, B, C, and D? Or do I necessarily, because I'm sitting in Zambia, have to get, have to be in contact with someone who's in country and you have that um, more localized uh, type of uh, um, you know, type of experience. So those two things, you know, I'm not sure who wants to take which, uh, but uh, yeah, those two things. Sure. So let me start with your last question. And your last question relates to essentially um, regulatory considerations, right? And specifically because we're using tech as an enabler. So great question and very relevant, Mudiva. Um, basically, they are, the, the short answer is there are different, different regulatory requirements in different countries. So when it comes to making a diagnosis um, and initiating care, you certainly have to work within the confines of your your country. So in other words, I am not, I need to be licensed in different countries in order to render healthcare services diagnostic referrals within that country. So I would only be licensed as a South African doctor by the HPCSA to practice within South Africa. If I travel out of the country, as an example, as I sometimes do and have to manage people and care for people in another country, I need to apply for a license in those countries. So if, if you have a doctor or an entity that is licensed more than one country, um, then yes, they would be able to uh, render that advice. But otherwise, we would have to work with local networks, which is exactly what our strategy is, um, in order to be able to full service individuals in different countries, right? So if we're working with individuals in Mozambique or Uganda or Kenya, we'd ensure that we have a local network of service providers with whom we can work so that we can offer the same kind of care and quality of care within the regulatory um, confines or considerations. With that being said, um, medical education is not confined by regulation. And so as you may have done yourself, I'm sure very many people have done, you go onto Dr. Google and say, I am suffering up from a headache. And Dr. Google, you know, um, who is our biggest competitor as medical doctors, but we accept that that they exist, will whip out a whole lot of conditions that you might have and then have articles which tell you about headache and the various causes. So from an education perspective, and even to some extent sort of I'm using word charging, but you know, narrowing down, you know, if you've got a headache but you don't have um, X, Y, Z, A, B, C, then you're likely to be able to exclude certain conditions. Education, you can um, offer essentially without risk of of breaching any sort of country regulatory environment. I am. Uh, I'm not shy to say that I've probably been one of those people that has consulted Doctor Google. Doctor Google. <laughs> Doctor Google is a, is a known colleague, you know. <laughs> and Chat GPT, right? Well, exactly. Now there's. A, yes. Now. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Now, yeah, it will be interesting. I, I am quite interested to see what, you know, those generative platforms will do, be able to do um, when it comes to, you know, some of these, uh, you know, diagnoses and stuff. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, um, I had asked the question, maybe Tanya, you can take this one. It's around whether or not you guys have made the foray into Africa yet um, or whether you're still looking to conquer the local market. We have, <laughs> so we so we plan on going live in the next couple of months. We're targeting definitely one country, possibly two. The second one depends on whether or not we can um, uh, sort of sign up a key distribution partnership, uh, which which would make the um, the commercial model uh, a lot less risky. And the first one we're going in with Liberty Health and Standard Bank. So Liberty Health will provide the healthcare plan. And what's interesting in this particular case. Uh, from a banking perspective, you know, we sometimes also like to attach the Standard Bank brand to the healthcare plan. 
um, because that there's a there's a customer franchise, there's a banking franchise, and it just it reduces um, friction and cost in terms of distribution, with UNU Health then providing effectively the front door, the access to the palm of your hand. In this particular case, we won't because of regulatory issues. So the banking regulator does not allow data to be hosted in the cloud, and UNU is a cloud platform. So it will go, um, the health plan will be Liberty branded, and so it remains in the insurance and, and health vertical, which can be cloud hosted in this particular instance, and then UNU will um, deliver the all the access solutions we've spoken about to remove the friction. Certainly makes sense because I can already see that the partnership with, let's say, a standard bank is proving to be quite, uh, what do you call this, to be quite valuable given their presence in a number of uh, different countries. Um, are you able to share what the first country is going to be or do we still have to wait and watch the space? Wait and watch the space if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Um, and then I think where we can end off for today, um, you know, just as a parting shot is, uh, um, Tanya, I'll start with you. And it's around uh, funding. Whenever we talk to businesses, especially those that, uh, you know, that are young, you guys, you know, started in, in August um, last year is to get a sense of uh, you, at least you guys have some solid corporate partners. Um, you know, that have uh, come on board. But um, we always tend to ask whether or not you are maybe raising external capital. You spoke earlier on about impact funding. Are you guys raising at the moment? Are you comfortable with where you are? Uh, because you see, it doesn't sound as if there are a lot of capital costs that you guys um, have to incur um, at the moment, but still just trying to understand, uh, you know, where you guys are. There might be someone who wants to, um, you know, write a check uh, who might be who might be listening. That's a great question. So we are currently Standard Bank funded. Uh, we were the funding started last year, which was really to get the design, the prototype, user testing, and then live go to market out. This year is all about scaling and then diversifying geography. This year is funded as well. However, we have an interesting relationship in that UNU is independent, however, currently solely funded by Standard Bank. And there may be a point at which the UNU interest and the funding need possibly diverges somewhat from um, the banking and the liberty strategy. And where that divergence happens, certainly we've we've, we've um, got legal opinions already in terms of what a spin-out would look like, and we would absolutely pursue that because we are about impact. We're about a target of at least 15 million users, which goes far beyond our current funder and, um, and partner, potentially, in terms of our ambition. And also being in the healthcare vertical. It's not banking. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. We wait to see how all of that happens, but at least it's. So maybe I can add an email address yes. to that. <laughs> so if there's yes. anybody listening, we can start chatting. It's info at unuhealth, unuhealth.co.za. Okay, cool. So if there's any funders out there or anyone who might be interested, because um, I think covering uh, the space and also a lot of capital raises, um, I think to your po earlier point, there is a lot of interest in uh, healthcare related, um, you know, businesses at the moment, especially uh, those that have an element of technology to them. There's a lot of interest, um, you know, right now. FinTech has always been a big one, but I think the healthcare and education piece has really been big over the last couple of years uh pato i think we will give you the 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 final word on uh, this discussion any closing remarks and the other piece that i want to understand is i guess the nature of your team 
right? Um, are you the only doctor on the team? Is the team full of doctors? You know, how many are you as uh, the person who's in charge of operations? Mudiwa, I've joined a team of, of incredible forward thinkers. Um, they've got a wealth of experience in tech, in insurance, in finance. And yes, I come in with the health aspect. And so I am the only medical doctor on the team. There are certainly people that we um, have included in the team from a, on a consultancy basis that have got expertise, for instance, in um, actuary that are related to health so we can understand our sort of our market and our demographics more and research and health-related research. So I'm, I'm, I'm not the sole health voice within our voice, within our team, um, but certainly the only me- medical doctor for now. And then, of course, we have a network of doctors that we work with. So so I expand in that way. Um, and yes, as a chief operation officer, I guess I connect these expertise to clinical process, to clinical outcomes, and very much to patient's experience. Um, now we're doing retake. I can't remember what you are. What you, you said you're going to leave me with the last voice on what? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I was just saying um, um, included in that for me was just any other closing remarks um, you know, that you might just uh, have as we round up. Maybe in closing, Murilo, I just want to take us back to why we're doing all of this. And I um, gave you the scenario. I, I shared with you the life of Lesedi, who's the person that we always come back to when we think about why we're doing what we're doing. And of course, Lesedi is not, she, there's not one Lesedi that exists in Africa or South Africa. There are many Lesedis. In fact, more than 80% of Africa people rely on under-resourced, inaccessible, and often unreliable public health care systems. And this is what we're trying to solve for. This is who we're trying to serve. And um, the fact that there's so many people who rely on under-resourced um, healthcare means that there's a surge in illness and non-communicable diseases, and ultimately, a life expectancy that is 10 years below the global average. I'm not sure if Tanya shared that straight. That's that. What we know about that 10 years, and this is why I'm actually sharing this to end with, is the WHO, the World Health Organization. They have established that one year of extended life expectancy not only has an impact at a community and social level, but it equates an improvement of continental GDP by 4%. So one year by 4%, and this is why we wake up every single day as a team. We wake up to improve the life of Lesedi, and we know that if we improve the life of many Lesedis, and if we are successful in just contributing and extending life expectancy by one year, we know the impact that we'll make at an individual level, at a community level, and even at a continental and economic level. That's why we wake up every single day. And that's why it's important for us to keep waking up and stay the course uh, despite whatever may come our way. So that's been it. It's been a very fascinating uh, discussion uh, with the team over at uh, UNU Health. Um, I think uh, we received an email just now, but I've got a little bit of a correction uh, because it's uh, info at unuhealth.org, you know, for those that are interested uh, to get in touch. A fascinating discussion. UNU Health is a technology platform and they're offering, uh, you know, more affordable care, um, you know, to uh, people in and around uh, South Africa and uh, at the moment, they are looking to expand um, into into the rest of Africa. Um, at the moment, there are one or two countries uh, that they are looking at, um, having partnered uh, with uh, Standard Bank as well as Liberty um, in terms of uh, you know the funding side of things, and as well as um, moving into um, uh, the rest of Africa. Some key pain points um, is the fact that uh, if you do listen back, um, you do understand uh, the type of person. Uh, 
we got the, the we got the customer journey or the patient journey um, that was well articulated to us just around you know why something like this is um, you know a really good thing and it's where um, a lot of things are going um, a lot of the interactions that people have tended to have in real life uh, being done you know over virtual platforms because in a lot of cases that does help to bring down a lot of the costs and also at the same time makes things more accessible because it means um, that you can do things either in the comfort of your own home um, without necessarily having to veer off um, your day, you know, your your obligations um, to go out and to get, uh, you know, some of that health care. We also spoke just around um, the different touch points uh, that are there in the ecosystem, um, you know, from the doctors, the healthcare professionals, nurses, um, the patients, as well as the pharmacies uh, that are all involved and uh, the place that UNO Health has in that ecosystem, um, you know, um, helping to, uh, I think the word that was used was advocate. We're helping to advocate for patients and also at the same time making sure um, that uh, there is uh, there is that access and uh, we do see yeah we do see how all of that is going to play out um, you know going forward at the end there you know getting a very important stat just around how an increase in life expectancy of just one year can actually help to push up uh, the GDP of the continent by four percent that doesn't sound like much but you know for a continent that uh, makes uh, combined GDP in the trillions of dollars that is a huge amount so we wait to see how things are going to progress um, you know uh, progress going forward and also at the same time um, the different uh, the different types of products uh, that uh, they're going to be having and uh, and adding you know to their platform um, going forward and then and then the thing that I'm most curious about I'm, I'm an AI guy so I'm very interested to see you know if they're going to be any uh, artificial intelligence types of offerings um, they did allude to one or two things you can take a picture and uh, you do get um, you know you are able to get uh, you know a health score I think that's already leaning towards um, you know that type of thing we're to see how things going but uh, always great to see um, anyone and everyone who is doing something to address some of these uh, you know big issues uh, that are going on in and around that world so that's it thank you so much we were talking uh, to Tanya Joffe, uh, who is the CEO of UNO Health, together with uh, Dr. Pato Zondi, who is uh, the Chief Operating Officer. Ladies, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Mariana. Thank you. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcasts on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from us, and the rest of the team. It is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.